there is this belief that DEI initiatives to date have largely benefited white women to some degree. I think what I find powerful about the insight is that across lines of difference, people tend to agree, okay, perhaps white women have benefited from these initiatives and they haven't leveraged their access and power to support other groups. That's what drives out of that. So it's ultimately an opportunity for greater allyship. That's an opportunity for women to elevate the experiences of others, champion the contributions of others, and leverage whatever access and or tailwinds to ensure that women of color, LGBTQ talent, other talent very much still looking for visibility internally has an opportunity to thrive in the same ways. Welcome back to The Fix, where every week I interview thought leaders, world leaders, academics, business leaders, activists, and ordinary people who are taking action to build workplaces that work for everyone. Before we start, just a quick request. If you like our podcast, then please hit subscribe now and leave a review. You can also sign up to our newsletter and get in touch at www.thefixpodcast.org. Every year, companies spend about $8 billion on DEI initiatives in the United States, according to research conducted by the consulting firm McKinsey. With all this money and attention given to DEI efforts, we need to ask ourselves an important question. Who benefits? In 2019, a report entitled Being Black in Corporate America, an Intersectional Exploration, released by the consulting firm Coqual, finds that black professionals are more likely to encounter prejudice and microaggressions than any other racial or ethnic minority group. Black employees are less likely than their white counterparts to have access to senior leaders and to have support from their managers. Yet, few white professionals see what their black colleagues are up against. 65% of black professionals say black employees have to work harder in order to advance, but only 16% of their white colleagues agree. This study also finds that black professionals are more likely than white professionals to be ambitious and they're more likely to have strong professional networks. Despite these assets, black professionals only hold 3.2% of all executive or senior leadership positions and less than 1% of all Fortune 500 CEO positions. While many white women have made gains in the American workplace, the gains for women of colour haven't been nearly as significant. According to another McKinsey study, white women hold 19% of all C-suite positions, while women of colour only hold 4% of them. The advancements of white women eclipse those of people of colour, which has very real consequences. For example, a Time magazine article reports that after IBM established their own affirmative action program, the number of women in management positions more than tripled in less than 10 years. Data from subsequent years shows that the number of executives of colour at IBM also grew, but not nearly the same rate. Overall, data and studies strongly suggest that white women in particular have benefited disproportionately from both affirmative action and DEI efforts. On today's episode, Lanaya Irvin, CEO of Coqua, will be joining us to discuss the report's findings. Here she shares some of the highlights. There is this belief that DEI initiatives to date have largely benefited white women to some degree. I think what I find powerful about the insight is that across lines of difference, people tend to agree, okay, perhaps white women have benefited from these initiatives and they haven't leveraged their access and power to support other groups. That's what drives out of that. So it's ultimately an opportunity for greater allyship. 
that's an opportunity for women to elevate the experiences of others, champion the contributions of others, and leverage whatever access and or tailwinds to ensure that women of color, LGBTQ talent, other talent very much still looking for visibility internally has an opportunity to thrive in the same ways. We find that at the intersection of race, intersection of gender, LGBTQ, you don't take the double click. It's very easy for companies to think, okay, great, we've delivered on women, we've delivered on gender, we have parity. But without actually looking at data more intersectionally, looking at groups across lines of difference, you may not see, okay, well, who aren't we creating the conditions to thrive or who haven't we supported in the ways that we could? We see in our recent equity research kind of echoes what you see in the Being Black in Corporate America study. And in the Being Black in Corporate America report, there's this pretty solid key finding that comes out that highlights a perception gap. And it makes it clear that the myth of meritocracy makes it difficult to see bias. So you have black talent, the barriers that they face to advancement seem to be largely invisible to their white colleagues. The Coquel Report lays out the systemic racial prejudice that exists in workplaces and the consequences it creates for black employees trying to advance into senior leadership positions. For example, black professionals are nearly four times as likely as white professionals to say they've experienced racial prejudice at work. 43% of black executives have had colleagues use racially insensitive language. Nearly one in five black professionals feel that someone of their race or ethnicity would never achieve a top position in companies compared to only 3% of white professionals who feel the same way. Black women are less likely to have access to the same support and advocacy as white women. For instance, 35% of white women have individuals in their networks who've advocated for their ideas and skills compared to 19% of black women. Black women who are often numerically underrepresented in professional occupations regularly grapple with how to counteract negative racial stereotypes that undermine their professional images in the office. In response, black workers often have to strategically engage in code switching, whereby they adjust their speech, appearance and behaviours to try and fit in. Studies show that black employees who downplay their racial identities are perceived as more professional and they're more likely to be hired than those who don't modify their self-presentation. Black employees who code switch report feeling burnt out and drained from constantly having to monitor their own behaviour. Across the board, black workers report lower levels of authenticity at work compared to their non-black counterparts. Largely, this is due to pressures to assimilate. Here, Linaya shares more on the barriers Black women face trying to advance at work. Black talent have to work harder to advance, but only 16% of their white colleagues agree with that statement. We recently launched a study around Black talent in the UK. We saw a similar perception gap. So there's this material gap in perception that makes overcoming these hurdles of retention, development, advancement that much more difficult because the gap between what employees are experiencing and what their peers or their managers actually understand or believe is really wide. And so we see that play out in some of our equity data, a series of studies focused on equity, really looking at talent systems. When you look at women of color and that data, look at advancement, performance evaluations, and bias or inequity is definitely present. You see it in the data, but it's not until you double click that you see, okay, the impact to women of color may be greater. We definitely do find in the data that there is inequity. We started by looking at assessments, so performance evaluations. 
because they're the gateway to everything else, right? Pay, opportunity, sponsorship, advancement. There've been studies to show that bias shows up in emails, right? Gendered language being used for men versus women, you know, that type of thing. What we found in the data is that Black and Latino professionals, for example, are feeling they're being judged by different criteria altogether. Twice as likely to feel that way. If you look at Asian women, Black women, Latino women, women of color more broadly, again, you see this twice as likely for the combined group. They're experiencing this feeling that they're being judged by a different criteria in the performance evaluations compared to white women. When you look at promotion rates, again, you see women of color acutely aware Black women especially, feeling passed over for promotion for equally or less qualified colleagues. When you think about whether or not contributions are being reflected in the way someone is being evaluated, Asian professionals are least likely to feel that their evals match their output. When we looked at evaluations, we asked respondents if they felt their evaluations actually reflect their contributions. And what we've heard qualitatively in multiple studies, that Asian employees feel, you know, their work is overlooked. They're not often given credit for the work that they contribute. Our research team here at time and again, Asian professionals that they can be seen as subject matter experts, but not as leaders. It's just this compounding feeling in our belonging study. Asian women have some of the lowest belonging scores. In fact, the lowest belonging scores right behind them were Black women. But again, this is where there's an opportunity for greater allyship around cisgendered men in seats of power, white women advancing their careers and looking to bring talent along. I think, if nothing else, what we've learned over the past couple of years is there's power in allyship and ultimately we're better together. So I'm hoping that some of the work that we do, some of the data at least becomes a call to action that pushes forward that sentiment. There are hundreds of articles on how companies can take a more inclusive approach to their diversity, equity and inclusion initiatives. I think the starting point, though, for everyone is recognising that we have to account for all areas of difference and different lived experiences in understanding inequality and addressing the issues it creates. Otherwise, we risk perpetuating inequality. Here are some practical steps all of us can take. In the study, we find that there are a few kind of top five areas of opportunity and or company benefits that were most attractive to Black talent. There is an interesting data point in being Black in corporate America, but data that pointed to some Black talent being interested in starting their own enterprises or being interested in smaller companies. And we wanted to get at why? What would make this trade-off attractive for Black men, Black women? So we kind of narrowed down the sample. It's interesting. For large company, what are the things that talent most likely value? Stability, great income, good benefits, opportunities to travel, amenities like dry cleaning or subsidized on-site restaurants or cafes, that type of thing. But we found that Black talent were willing to trade that stability, those who were interested in moving into startup world or smaller companies. What they were getting was something really meaningful. Things such as a sense of belonging, a greater likelihood of being able to implement their ideas in an environment, trusting relationships with colleagues, respect for one's contributions. Most of this really does just translate into feeling seen, right? When I spend time with senior leaders and companies in our task force, I think that what we find in, the, in being Black Corporate America is hugely instructive, instructive for what larger companies should be aiming to foster at their firms, right? This sense of trust 
sense of community, lifting up the ideas of others, fostering this sense of belonging. And so, of course, there were things that companies absolutely must do, setting clear expectations around how promotion and advancement work, you know, offering more clarity around the expectations around inclusive behavior, of course, signaling from the top at the CEO and operating committee level that this work absolutely matters. But I think things that different employees seek out will differ. Absolutely. But I think what we need to understand is that on the whole, individuals are looking for places where they can actually be seen and be rewarded for their unique contributions. Talent has a tremendous amount of choice today. And employees will leave. They will leave to join an organization where they're embraced for their difference and then invited to bring their skill sets and their unique contributions to the work, to the challenge. And, you know, I don't think that that'll change. I'm sure you all have been talking about, you know, the great recession and quiet quitting and now what it means to live a soft life. So there's tremendous power in the hands of the employee. And I don't think that that's going to change anytime soon. There's a tendency when implementing DEI initiatives to consider women's experiences with a unified view. The problem with this is that it tends to reflect the experiences of white women because they make up the dominant group of women leaders in corporations today. And this is a very particular group of white women. White women who succeed tend to fit the masculine leadership ideal. Research I cite in my book has found that successful female leaders are perceived differently than women in general. Typically, they're in their own category because people view them as having fewer stereotypical attributes associated with women and a lot more attributes typically associated with men. Women leaders are less likely than male leaders to be married or have children, and they're more willing to sacrifice non-work-related interests in the pursuit of career success. Women leaders are exceptional, which makes them the exception, not the norm. Because of this, white women leaders are not representative of all women and shouldn't be used as examples of how quality has been achieved. A study by Harvard Business Review, published in 2018, finds that black women executives in the United States often feel overlooked, disregarded or forgotten. They feel invisible because their race and gender differences ensure they often don't fit the leadership prototype, which makes them much more likely to be perceived negatively when they try to live up to the standard. Worse, when black women make mistakes in organizations, they're often more harshly penalized, and the mistake is unfairly used to highlight how much they don't fit this leadership standard. The less you conform to the masculine ideal worker, the harder it is to advance. The more people differ from the standard, the more barriers they will face trying to advance at work. For example, while white women face many barriers at work because of sexism, they have their whiteness in common with most of the male leaders, And this is a form of privilege because it makes it easier for white women to access mentors and sponsors and ultimately fit in. In contrast, black women need to battle both sexism and racism. The same holds true for nearly every area of difference. The more barriers minorities face, the less likely they are to have access to power and privilege needed to change the culture from within. Conversely, people who closely resemble the ideal worker standard are in a powerful position to affect change. This includes white women. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. A quick one before you go. If you love our podcast and you'd like more, then please hit subscribe now and leave a review. Your support means so much. 
thank you for tuning into our episode today. If you're interested in partnering with us or being a guest on the show, then you can reach out through our website, thefixpodcast.org. You can also sign up to our monthly newsletter and contribute your story there. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch you all again next week.